those lives where you wish you were on a Hawaiian island, just relaxing, <laughs> cool, tropical breeze, sound of waves lapping on white sand or black sand, depending on what beach you're at. Yeah. I'm making actively making plans to create a similar lifestyle, but not necessarily centered around the Hawaiian islands. Very good. What makes you ask? Do you need a getaway? Um, right now, I'm day. living a life <laughs> where I wish I was on a Hawaiian <laughs> beach, tropical breeze, relaxing, the sound of waves uh-huh. crashing upon the sands. Yeah. Well, you're, it's right there waiting for you. On the other side. Yeah. <laughs> the other side of the mirror. Yeah. The other side of releasing humble and grace. <laughs> Boy, there's a project that should come back onto the front burner. Amen. You're talking my language. All right. Yeah. I know this isn't what we talked about talking about today, but since we're here, let's just like, what year was it? What was the intention and why the fuck isn't it done? Shit. What year was that? I don't know. That was when the total solar eclipse took place on the Hawaiian islands, the big Island. And um, Mike and I went there. We raised a little bit of money, spent a bunch of our own money and we actually got the total solar eclipse on video, which was rare because the island was all fogged in. And the main part where the um, media people were and the observation place on top of the mountain, they were fogged in. And where Mike and I were, because we got kicked out of the media place, it was clear. <laughs> awesome. And who's humble and grace? Uh, so... um Mike is Lord Humble, and I am Sir Grace. And they were very ton-in-cheek names because Mike felt he wasn't really humble, and I felt I wasn't really full of grace. (laughs) And so you went to Hawaii to shoot this film, and you shot it on video, and there was a loose understanding of what it was all going to be. Well, it was documenting the trip. And then we went to Kauai where our friend Sherry was living at the time. And we spent, so we spent three days on the big island, I think 10 or 12 days on Kauai. And then we met Chris Furby in Los Angeles and went to Disneyland because Mike had never been to Disneyland. And did you shoot at Disneyland? We did briefly because I got permission to shoot, but it was under sort of, um, a lie. <laughs> so when we got there, we got in for free. We got our equipment. 
Chris Furby shot us on Main Street. Security came came up, tapped us on the shoulder. I went into one of the main security offices on Disneyland, spoke with the woman in charge. And after hearing my story, she was like, well, you can't shoot, but you guys enjoy your day at Disneyland. So we were in Disneyland for free and we kept the footage on Main Street. And then I also got a pencil that was shaped like Mickey Mouse ears, which I thought was so cool because it was a real lead pencil, wood pencil. And um, I lost it since, but I was right, happy. So there's also, the footage. It's yeah. in the um, Humble and Grace archives. Yeah, and it's on like the Super 8 videotape or whatever that yeah. is. High 8. High 8. That was it. High 8. So my plan is to get some volunteers at the Redwoods, which is a retirement home in Mill Valley, and interview the people there reminiscing about Humble and Grace and kind of these yarns about who these two clowns were and then interjecting the footage that we shot, which is now like, what, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So there'd be like this, you know, two women going, yeah, I remember Humble and Grace. They were crazy. They had this idea to go shoot in Hawaii and and then interject footage from the actual humble and grace go to. So you have a plan. I do have a plan. All right. Should we start a a GoFundMe? God bless it. It doesn't need money. It needs the one piece that has kept it from being edited. Both Mike and I have attempted to edit it a few times and it just always falls off. Editing is fucking, it's like working out. Hang on. You've got the women talking, right? No, I haven't shot that. I haven't shot Okay, that. so you're, why are you editing? You don't have what you need. Well, we were editing 20 years ago because we did have what we need. But okay. time has passed. Got it. So what we're back to now is a GoFundMe so that you can shoot the sequences with the old ladies. Right? Yeah, but I don't need money to do that. I could do that. Okay. Wouldn't it be nice if you had money? To get paid for what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> that would be nice. Okay. How else are you going to edit in Hawaii on the beach on your Mac? <laughs> <laughs> on my PC. <laughs> or whatever. See where I'm going with this? I do. Okay. I do. You're trying to stab me through the mirror. I like that. I love it. All right. Well, that's enough about Humble and Grace. We may revisit this. Uh, for those of you who are really enthusiastic about the um, solar eclipse of an unknown date and time, I'm sure it says on the tape somewhere. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Um, I will keep after uh, Grace until he um, gets it going. <laughs> All right. Which brings us to the big mirror, which is what this episode's about. Step right. Into- Big looking glass. Yeah. And what happens after you shoot a film and don't edit it? (laughs) I can tell you for experience, nothing. (laughs) Yeah. And some people think that that's what it's like after death, too. They think there's just nothing. Right. Right. In fact, I've been doing this presentation called um, The Neuroscience Behind Manifestation. And one of the main people in that segment has that opinion, even though he talks eloquently about all this great neuroscience, he's also like, 
when we're done, there's absolutely nothing. And that's what he concludes his presentation with. Very interesting perspective. Um, because most people that I know and that I hear talking about it are not atheists who believe nothing happens at the end of life. Most people believe there is an afterlife of some sort. And I happen to agree. Well, and you and I have spoken of uh, Ricky Gervais series afterlife that has three seasons and he's, uh, you know, he very much believes nothing happens, but afterlife is a very, in my opinion, a very moving spiritual series about the meaning of life, exploring what is this thing life and finding meaning in it. Okay. Um, Yeah. I mean, what if it doesn't mean anything? Well, that's part of what I was wondering as I thought about this topic we chose, because I was thinking how you and I spoke on Monday of the um, Egyptian um, spiritual story, for lack of a better word, that just that the story of Jesus emulates, you know, of a son of God being born to a virgin mom who brought a friend back to life, was crucified. You know, I wish I could speak eloquently about this, but it's just whispers and very like sparse memories of there. It may, there might be a story about that in Kemet. Well, so, but here's the thing is like, I saw it from a resource. You have come across it from a different resource. It's information that's out there. And it does bring up kind of what Ricky Gervais and other atheists say is like, is God a human need for meaning? That's a great question. I thought the question is, is there an afterlife? Well, afterlife does speak to God in essence. And just without, you know, semantics can get involved real quickly. Right. And I think if we're believing in an afterlife, there is a spiritual belief in that. In essence, it's saying that life is beyond the physical. Consciousness is beyond the physical. What I've noticed about my own experience is the older I get, the more my version of what God is changes. Yeah, well, that's okay. I, I believe that for myself, too. Part of what I believe for me, like if I was talking with an atheist in my mind, <laughs> is um, God is that element that's love, that's infinity, that's the emotions, that's poetry. It's elements that don't, that we know exist from experience, but cannot be calculated and graphed and scientifically diagrammed. Well, I disagree. Politely. (laughs) My point of view is the all is what we would refer to as God. And so it includes everything. Right. And the all is mind, which means that we are a thought Right. Hey, isn't thought like a alien um, 
Speaking of thong. Oh, okay. Never mind. Thong. Yeah. No. Um, so it's more than light. It's darkness, right? It's, it's all of the different things. And the, the body is the, the experience of all of the elements together in what we would call 3D reality. But what happens after the body dies to the essence, you can call it the soul, you can call it the spirit, right? Both, really, soul and spirit, which there's a mild distinction there, right? Um, consciousness. Consciousness is more along the lines of, of what, you know, I think modern materialists would use, right? Because it's based on this idea that consciousness is the thinking part, the aware part. Uh, the aware part, awareness. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I've been exposed to all these idiomatic kinds of philosophies about what's what's happening when the body's no longer functioning the way it normally does. And so I have all my pictures are shaped by my experience of all the people I've talked to about it and all the books I've read about it and all of the decisions I made that I think are right. But do, now, you, have a, do you have experiences that are ethereal in nature or divine in nature experience. Like do you have personal experiences where you're like, okay, that was God. More and more. Everything is every experience is, but that's a kind of pedantic answer to what your question is. Right. right? right. And it could um, be hallucinogenics involved. Well, I, I think that's valid. Yeah. More and more. I experienced that the, need for hallucinogenics is less and less for me to have the experience that we're talking about. Yeah, but, but coming back, have you had any real world experiences of a miracle, something where you were like, okay, that's beyond 3d scientific definition. What I just experienced. Oh, well, you see to me, nothing is beyond science. It's just how science chooses to oh, evolve. 3d science. Like, have you had an experience? Yeah, you, I, sorry to be such a pain in the ass, but I don't make a, there's no distinction there for me because to me, they, they intersect and they work together. And it's, okay. Have you had an experience where you know that this experience was divine. I'm having one now. <laughs> okay. Put your hands above so I can see both hands. <laughs> All right. So we can roll that out. <laughs> yeah. What he's saying is I'm not having a stroke. Um, <laughs> well, so well, the evolution of my consciousness has been, from a child to where I am at 58 years old. Now it's been a long, incredible, enriching discovery of the great mystery, right? Yeah, but are you avoiding the question? No, I'm actually trying to answer it the best way I know how, because what I've discovered more and more is that it's not separation. It's not 3d versus spiritual. It's not, they're all, it's all one thing, but we don't experience it that way because of our conditioning and because we are not trained to allow the mind to relax into the deeper possibility. Okay. That just sparked me because I was thinking about this just minutes ago while preparing for this, that breathing 
doesn't need my conscious effort. I'm breathing. And every time I check in, am I breathing? Yep, I'm breathing. Heartbeat, same thing. I was wondering, like, why isn't divinity like that? Why isn't it just this consistent that doesn't need our consciousness to be there? But when I check in, like, is divinity there? Oh, yeah. And in essence, like even joy, like we could just say, Divinity is joy. What you read about in Course of Miracles on Monday, where God is just pure joy. That's God. So all the pain and adversity that we're experiencing, we create it because that isn't God. And so just joy, like why isn't joy like breathing? Like, am I happy? Oh, yeah, I am. All right, cool. And you just continue on. Well, you and I have had this discussion before where, you know, I, it's not that I don't see God in the struggle and strife of human creation, because I do. It's, God is not just joy. Well, that's not what Course in Miracles says. I disagree. Oh, really? So Course of Mark. <laughs> Course in Miracles, to me, is saying that what we see, we mistake. And the story we make up about it is what's not God. So the mind that I, that I, what I create with my mind is not the same as what the all is today's lesson. I haven't read it. Is it right? Is it right by you? That's in the other room. Um, My point is I've had lots of what I'll call experiences of the awe and wonder of the life I'm in that seem to transcend the boundaries of physical limitations because that, but what it is, is there's a feeling there. Right. That integrates with my intellect. Right. And then there's a third thing that happens, which is an, a sensation in my body, which feels like love. An erection. Well, that too, but, but you know, <laughs> more and more, I recognize that that the, the the boundary of when I'm having that in, inspired awe experience and when I'm not is less and less. And so I don't I don't make a big distinction now between the mundane and the divine because the fact that there's mundane is such a miracle all in itself. Okay, so do you still have the question? Is God real? No. Alive in you? It's the absolutely question is no longer. It's not even a question anymore. I, I have that question alive still. Okay. And, and yeah, that's it. And I, you know, I would say I believe in God, but that question is still alive in me. There's an element okay. of, yeah, what am I really believing in? And well, part of it is because I know how foible we are as humans. Fallible. Fallible. Yeah. Aluminum foilable. Yeah, foilable. Yeah, totally. Um, so for better or for worse, I consider that aspect of us also divine. 
And this starts to break away from the Course in Miracles in some ways, but that's okay. Like, that doesn't mean there isn't wisdom there for me to receive, right? But my own experience, my own framework as it is, is that what we're experiencing as living human being becomings on Earth is not separated from divine or God or whatever you want to call it. And so what happens when the body dies is that that, that point of connection that has experience through the sensational, i.e. sight, touch, hearing, right? Emotions. Awareness. Like those are all elements that bring awareness to something. Right. So the question I think then becomes if there's an afterlife and there's no awareness, does it exist? Which is reminiscent of a Zen cone. If there's a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it, did it, did it make right. a sound? Right. Okay. Now to throw a monkey wrench into this, cause you brought up, I forget the term, but where part human part machine. Oh, well there's this whole sort of movement that's happening in, in our culture and in our society related to technology called transhumanism transhumanism that's it so and ai artificial intelligence which, right right if it is if it's artificial then it's not intelligence and and in, in the my stories book. that were you know like terminator and all the other stories that i know of where ai happens there's that point where suddenly computer slash machine becomes aware of itself mm -hmm. And in that awareness, it starts going, hey, wait a minute. What's this mean? What's this mean? Oh, fucking humans are a disease to this planet. <laughs> Need to eradicate them. Well, all those stories are created by humans who have this self-loathing because they misunderstand what they are. And so it's a reflection of the shadow of their inner life that that's what they would project onto the ultimate intelligence. <laughs> So you're and saying you're, the dystopian story is really self-flagellation of the author? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very sad. Humans, silly human race. When we actually start to realize what divine intelligence is, it, we're no longer going to be afraid of that. Because what's actually, we're just, we're just absolutely destroying ourselves. We don't need AI to do it. So here's another thing that just sparked in my head, because on uh, TikTok, there's this woman who's highly conservative, very pro-Trump, very anti-Biden, and um, had a very brief conversation with her that was intelligent. Via text? Yeah. And then um, <clears throat> later on, I saw TikTok. She posted, because you know, a lot of TikTokers, they post a comment, and then mm -hmm. they reply to the comment. Okay. So the comment was like, your friends must be all conservative or don't you get tired of listening to each other? And in essence, what she said is, nope, some of my friends are liberal. We don't get tired of each other. We love each other. And I was like seeing, so the reality, like, cause the TikTok social media thing seems very extreme. Like I hate Biden. I love Trump. Fuck you. And then what I'm seeing in this post she did is like, that's not really what's going on. she has liberal friends. They get together. They're friends with diverse opinions. It's almost like that human element 
is missing in the brief connection that social media gives. Okay, can you tie that back to AI and what we're talking about? I'm I'm sort of... Well, so part of what you were saying is how um, our self-loathing, our, our image of who we are. Mm-hmm. I think there's sort of this mass image of humanity that is being based on the brief, shallow connection of social media, that this is what humans are. They're adversarial, they fight, it's black or white, and no gray ground, and blah, blah, blah. And and we operate from that kind of tape running in us. But the reality is that we really are far more interconnected than social media is showing. And as you said earlier, if we like knew that to be real then um, perhaps the social chaos frequency that seems to be at a constant would just sort of chill out. Like you turn the burner down on a kettle and the steam's no longer screaming out. It's just like chill down. Maybe we could have protests and discussions that don't lead to throwing bricks and rocks and arresting people and throwing them to the ground and all that kind of chaos. There could just be some real intelligent, positive communication. Well, we need things to break down in order for the materials that they're made of to become available for the next layer of growth. So on one level, Hmm. what's happening in social media, which appears to be, caustic and toxic is actually the rites of passage of each of the individuals involved learning to navigate their illusory sense of separation. So that kind of brings up is God divinity an end all or is it a constant evolution? Well, it's the all. So there's no, it's already everything all at once and time is, is a construct. And so, Evolution, again, is a human condition and, and a, an earthly condition for others, for other beings, right? So what I think is relevant is that at this stage in humanity, my, the picture I have based on my conditioning and my family history and my framework, which is just as invalid as anybody else's, <laughs> is that we're at this place where we have... Um, a new possibility to become more consciously aware of the fabric of our experience, the multifaceted way that science and spirituality and um, um, philosophy and, you know, behavior all come together to continually to, uh, to upgrade our awareness of, what this is and and why we're having this experience and what's available to us through that. And so when two people argue with each other, either in person or in a social media context, the appearance in the moment of the argument might be that they're irrevocably, you know, opposed to each other. But then when they go away and they reflect by themselves in the moment, they may have an experience that has them become more curious about themselves 
or about what it was they heard from the other person. And so this woman that you're talking about, she was being accused of being myopic and being locked in a polarity where no understanding of any other. And she right away, she said, see, no, not true. I have, you know, this other facet to my humanity. So the more we try to pigeonhole our experience, the more we try to imagine that we are not in, in some kind of sympathetic or sympathetic relationship, the less we are close to the truth. And it just, this, the clash of civilizations right now is breaking down elements that are no longer going to function for us so that there's a, the reality is going to, we're going to have to be reinvent how we put things together. But first, theoretically, I mean, you know, if the miracle were to happen, we'd wake up and just start doing it. And some of that's happening. People are figuring it out. But to a large degree, there's people who are still um, locked into a kind of calcified awareness, a kind of um, unflexible, fixed point of view style. So breaking that down and making its subparticles available to the next level of evolution can neither be a thing where it requires the full breakdown and death of those people as you know, entities as bodies in order for that to then disperse, or it can be the breakdown of an emotional realization that causes a reaction and the changing of a set of thought patterns and set of belief systems that have us no longer function the way we were when we were operating from that idea of fixation. And, and, you know, um, what comes to mind is the former white supremacist who got out of jail after being a member of the Aryan brotherhood now goes around and works with other members of the Aryan Brotherhood to sort of bring them into a new awareness of, of the, the lack of need for racial division and the lack of need for white supremacist practices. And, you know, it's a tough road to hoe for that guy, but he, he came to an awakening himself. And then he made it his mission to, come, to go and meet people who are still on that path and have the difficult conversations with them until they're able to come to a new way of understanding. And I just think that's the context of all of this experience. We are all being put through these kinds of transformational rites of passage. Every moment, every day, we have a new possibility to engage ourselves and to break down the parts of ourselves that are in out of accordance with the natural law. And the natural law to me comes down to one four-letter word, love. Right. So... You were very close with Steve and your mom, who have both passed away. Right. And do you have any experiences in your life where you they were present without any doubt in your mind after they passed? I've had dreams, for sure. What um, about the world? Well, I've had sensations as if their presence was nearby. And that sensation was an emotional feeling that was something I shared with them. For instance, I went to um, Terrapin to see um, Phil Lesh and friends play. And one of the things they did the year my mom died was they did a concert that was um, the Beatles. I think it was the white album all the way through. And even number nine, let it be. Okay. Okay. And they played um, a bunch of those songs. And my mom had, you know, and I were really big Beatles fans. And so there was this sensation I had of hearing those, that music in a room full of people 
where I could feel the thing that I felt when my mom would listen to those things together. Now, whether or not she was there in spirit in an identifiable way or not is, is a great question to sort of contemplate. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter because my experience was the same as if she was there. Except that I couldn't turn to her and pass her the joint. <laughs> That'd be funny if you did and then you see the joint floating in front of you. Whoa! Right? Hey, Mom! <laughs> and it's so funny because what we try to do is with these ideas of, of ghost or spirit or whatever uh, is we try to make it as if it has to take shape in the physical. Like a ghost is something we could see and it could actually hold a joint or whatever. And so we're painting this phenomenon <laughs> with the limitations of the physical because that's all we have that's like the best our imagination can do you know what's interesting all the ghost stories i can think of uh, (laughs) (coughs) excuse me are based on um an entity that couldn't let go of the planet or wasn't allowed to let go of the planet so like a christmas carol all the ghosts are dragging their chains and suffering by witnessing people they could have helped, but now they can't because they're ghosts or a haunting. Like I can't think of, except I just thought of, uh, forget it. Never mind. My theory's gone. Casper, the friendly ghost. And then also when I was growing up, there was a series of books about Georgie, the ghost. It was my favorite. God, I love these books. And Georgie was a very friendly ghost. So yeah, I guess my I think we sucks. have all this mythology that we, we share, you know, from down through the ages with each other. that tries to help us figure out the answers to these questions and to have a framework for this. Right. I was thinking about that with wisdom, because yesterday with the uh, Daily Bread, it was about wisdom and the importance of wisdom. And thinking with the Bible, um, like there's wise things in there. And thinking of uh, children's books like Dr. Suits, you know, the Sneetches on the beaches with stars and on their bellies. Like, it doesn't matter that it's a children's book or a Bible. There's wisdom in there that if you poo-poo it because it's the Bible or a children's book, you're missing out on that wisdom to be gained. And uh, But the wisdom is in you. And you just recognize it when you actually engage with the artwork. So the artwork is created by someone. Right. And they can't know who or when or which particular layer of wisdom they're actually going to resonate with each individual. That's why we do it. We kind of like we make this artwork and we give it life. We give it as much as we can about life in hopes that something will happen for another person in a way that's similar. But, but in the end, we only are guessing at what that, what similar is. Like I can say the color red to you and you get a picture in your mind of what red means, but the, the level of depth of the red that you picture when I say that versus what I picture, we don't really have a great way to analyze whether they're the same or not. I mean, we have some common ground, Right. But if we went to like my colored pencil box right now, which is in my kitchen, there's like about eight different layers of red. And so which one would you when I say red, which one comes to your mind? They're going to be different. 
Well, and also when you said red, I pictured a person wearing red. And then I went to like a Pantone square of red. Right. My first hit. So spiritual objectivity is subjective. (laughs) Bumper stickers should be issued. Yeah. You know what's hella funny is uh, the other day I was on the freeway and this fucking guy cut me off to get onto um, East Blythdale exit and he had this peace bumper sticker. And I was like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, you know, I mean, it's that's the other thing. It's so like. <clears throat> our blind spots, the areas in which, you know, we profess to be X, but, and I think that happens a lot. It's interesting in romantic relationship and dating. I I feel like with this dating app, there's this element of, you know, like a resume. This is the best of me, you know, talk about, wow, I have trouble getting to work on time. And (laughs) I take a lot of coffee breaks and, uh, I don't know Excel, but I'm great at, you know, (laughs) and and I don't know. It's just, I was talking with uh, my youngest daughter, Bodhi, too, about this element of the imagination. And you and I think have spoken about this, of imagining a way of being that kind of pulls me. Like, I want to live that way i think we talked about this about stepping into greatness that element of it's not like i can do better and that statement's coming from an imagined way that i am that isn't happening now so what's real that's again that kind of brings me to god that's why i have the question is god real like what is real? I don't have to know that breath is real or not real. Like it doesn't, no one, you could say, you can say, fog a mirror and know that. Right. And someone could say, well, you're not breathing. Okay. Whatever. Like it's so, it's so inane, the statement because of the reality. That's what I'm looking for with God. It's almost like that Rolling Stone song. I don't want to walk and talk about Jesus. Just want to see his face. You know, like I want it to be so inane that if someone comes up to me like God doesn't exist, it's such an inane statement. They might as well have said your heart's not beating because like, okay, it's so inane. So do you believe in an afterlife? I do. And what I went and the, 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 the solidity of that's my answer comes from my personal experience with my father after he had passed. I think I've told you that story where I had to hang out in the morgue for three days. And what was it? And there was that floaty sensation and they had the names of people on the wall where, um, <laughs> I see you're up to something. <laughs> Keep talking. They had and, uh, they, so that names like so you could go, you could see like Leonard Wilker. Oh, he's over in that room there. 
Mrs. Audrey Smith. She's over in that room there. So that those, and I'm like floating around and it was super weird. And uh, then I was like stepped to this one spot in the morgue and all of a sudden it went away. I'm like grounded. I was like, Oh, that's weird. And I turn around all of a sudden I'm floating again. I get right in front of those name things and I look up and they misspelled my dad's name. And I laughed. I went, all right, I'll take care of that. And then it was just gone. And um, I went into the office and said, hey, you misspelled my dad's name. They went, okay, we'll take care of that. So does that floating experience, does, is that evidence of the divine for you? It is for me. And that's the other thing I know. There's no fucking way that I can communicate the reality of life after death with anyone like you. Mike Healy always comes to mind because that's my personal experience. And that's the thing. We each have our own experience, right? The question is what set of beliefs and frameworks of thinking allows us to interpret that as being uh, connected to source, right? Or right. right. And that's the piece is like, I know someone in a scientific mindset could say, well, Greg, you saw it and it was, you know, in your unconsciousness, you knew it was misspelled and you created this experience and blah, blah. But I have my own experience. But see, even scientists who are so focused on phenomenal and measurement and this idea of science they're looking for meaning in the universe. Well, absolutely. And so it's the face of God just is, is through the lens of quantum physics. No, absolutely. But here's the piece that with science that's important is it needs to be able to be recreated by others. That experience I had cannot be recreated. Like you can't go to a morgue and recreate what I experienced. And that's the element where science goes, "Mm, I don't know about that. Because the scientific process is it's real and true because it could be recreated by someone else elsewhere with the same elements involved. And even when you combine all the elements together in a recipe, sometimes it doesn't work. Right. Yes. And that's part of what I've been that's to. That's the indirect symposiums. proof that science is not as solid as they want to think. Well, I've been to symposiums with scientists and spiritualists. And I remember one woman who was a doctor of mathematics. And she said she got into it because her dad was kind of airy fairy. And she was like, fuck this. I'm getting into something that's, you know, one plus one equals two. But right. as she got deeper and deeper into it, it started getting loosey-goosey. She's like, oh, wait a minute. And so it brought her to a place of spirituality, in essence. Like you just mentioned quantum physics. You know, you start getting into the depths of these theories. And there's... uh It's a human framework, no matter how you come at it. You can come at it through the lens of science, through the lens of Christianity, through the lens of Judaism. You can come through it through the lens of various kinds of spiritual belief patterns. But there's a common denominator, which is we're all having psychosomatic emotional experiences. And so what we use to try to describe those are 
Wait, what's a psychosomatic experience? No, it's what's, a somatic experience and a psycho experience. Right? Those oh, are so three, dis- three, dis- three distinctions I was making. Three? What's three? You just said two. What's the three? Sensational. Sensational, semantic, and... Well, somatic psych- and sensational, right? Psychosomatic. So that's two. I forget what I said. You said psychosomatic. And um, what is that? I thought that was a single word. It is, in, but in this case, I'm using it in its subject in its in two in two way in the split way, psycho, psych, psychological and somatic. And what's somatic? Somatic. Yeah. It's the embodied knowing. It's physical. the experience of physical sensation. Okay. But so it's also intelligence, like uh, wisdom, and fear. Which is not just a brain thing, right? Fear is of an embodied thing. We feel it in our bodies too. Right, right, right. All right. So going back to what you were saying, how we have this psychosomatic. Experience. Everyone has this point of view of how their experience of the world is through right. the lens of being in a body. Right. And they are constantly using that as a means to satisfy this kind of curiosity. And so scientists focus on satisfying that curiosity through the lens of science and spiritualists focus on satisfying that curiosity through the lens of spiritual reasoning or you know, meaning making. And so, you know, Estians say we're meaning making machines, which is really funny because we're not machines, right? But then there's this whole idea that the, the mind itself has this unrevocability to it. The process of the mind continues and continues and continues and continues, no matter how much meditation you do or how much walking you do, right? There's just like, and then when you die, what happens? Does that thinking continue? What do you think? So I think it does. I think I'm, I'm aware when I pass, my awareness continues. Okay. Like I'm aware that I've left my body. Right. And we've both had experiences like I've had psychedelic experiences where I left my body. Right. But I still felt as if I was a cohesive entity of some sort. Right. The I, the I am was still present. Right. But when I had this thing happen to me on Christmas Day this year where I had transient global amnesia, I didn't have there was nothing. There was no experience. To, to relate to because there was no memory to store it in. Yeah, what's brilliant with that is there was also no fear because one That's could right. quickly think like one would move into fear. Because fear is to ha- for fear to function, you have to have a necessary memory of the past pain that would lead you to think something bad could happen. Right, or a comparative where like I expect this to be and it's not, so I'm frightened. Right. And because that expectation is based on an experiential past that you no longer have access to. Yeah. So uh, you, when you shared this with me, you mentioned it like it was a total reset. Yeah. Your being. And yeah. you were grateful for it because it really allowed you to like boot up fresh. Well, yeah, absolutely. Like my body, a lot of aches and pains that I had went away. You know, there was a lot of things that were no longer true about me. Stress levels that weren't present anymore, right? And does that remain so? Yeah. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Well, and I'm actively cultivating it. Like I actually spend time, energy and attention to rid myself of the things that we would refer to commonly as Shempa or, right. you know, things that are cultivated. If you cultivate them, they cause tension and angst and anxiety in the body. Yeah. So that's interesting because I have this pain in my shoulder and I had a slap procedure here where they reattached my bicep to my shoulder like 15 years ago now. And it's just constant pain. And I can feel there's weakness. Like when I do push-ups and working out and there's a weakness there. And part of what I'm wondering is, should I just accept this? This is going to be for the rest of my life and do what I can to build it up, keep it strong make sure it doesn't freeze or like you're, bringing into our conversation is there a consciousness that can be rebooted where my experience of what this is can be transformed, which I believe is possible. Like I believe our physicality is a manifestation. Well, I had several scientists try to explain what happened to me. And what they said was, we don't know what causes it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> right. So where, where we're back to is this kind of idea that even with science, there's this, these gaps where there's these things that we just can't explain through any measurable means yet. Right. And uh, you know, the way I view this is magic is science that we have yet figured out how to describe in a quantitative way. And so that those experiences of inspirational, elevated emotional states, you can start to explain them in terms of the way that various hormones are secreted and the blood flows increased and the heart rates increased. Like, but that's really just the effects. When you say that someone played a song that caused that, that okay, great. And lots of people who hear that song will have a similar experience, but not everyone will hear it. So you can't say it's the song, right? It's the song and the listener. And we're co-creating the experience. So it's the painter and the person looking at it. It's the Bible and the the uh uh reader. The Bible and the reader, or the Bible and the um, the con- 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 congregation, pedophile. congregation, the Bible and the pedophile. That's a great horror movie. Um. <laughs> Ooh, that reminds me of uh, when I was growing up. There was a book I really loved called Not sure Crossing I hear this the Switchblade. <laughs> no, it was a, based on a true story, The Crossing the Switchblade. It was about a street gang member who, you know, was deep into the gangs, and then he becomes friends with a neighborhood priest and his life is transformed from. Right. Which is why we're all here. We're all here to receive that transformation. And it's a privilege to exit the Akasha, to exit the, um, the realm, the astral plane and to become a body because in the body, you can have all of those challenging experiences and, and evolve. You can't, Apparently, you can't do that in the spiritual realm. Hmm. That, that it's you're inert. Karma does isn't there. Karma is here. So transcendence only takes the spiritual garage for your karma. 
well, not garage, but let's say playing field, game, game, freeway field. It's the game field. It's the, you come, we come here, we engage with each other and we, whether we do it in a conflict way of polarization and us against them, or we get together and we go all go see Judas priest. And we, we have a religious experience at a heavy metal concert, right? Which, breaking the law, breaking the right? law. <laughs> Which, if you if you took most Bible belters, they're like, "There's no way Jesus is present at a Judas Priest concert." It's well, then they really Bible. haven't read the Bible very well, right? And so, there. That's the thing. We're all we, when we impose our preconditioned interpretation of what's supposed to be happening onto the circumstances of the life we're experiencing, we miss something that's present for us always. That's always there. And it's like that great line where Bruce Lee is teaching the kid and he points and he says, it's like a finger pointing to the moon. And then he goes, don't concentrate on the finger because otherwise you miss all that heavenly gold. Right. And so the finger represents the corporal, the physicality of it. And the heavenly glory is the thing that inspires us. And to be inspired you have to have some form of conscious awareness. And then inspiration itself happens as a visceral experience. We experience exaltation. We experience the body's mechanism or body's biological interaction, creating a sense of well-being, a, an inspired thing. But then we try to interpret and try to hold on to with the mind and grasp, which it can't do. The mind can't grasp it, but the body can the body remembers that feeling of love, that feeling of unity with everything. And that, we're, it's sort of like the old age, old age attitude of um, chasing the dragon, right? It's like if you, it, sometimes you're just addicted to God and you're constantly on a set trying to find that, that next fix for that exalted feeling. So you go to church and you sing and, or, or maybe you're like a scientist and you get off on like discovering a new like element. And so you spend your whole life studying the elements until you can come up with that new thing. And then you have an, or, you know, you're a backpacker and you just want to see 50 waterfalls this summer. And, you know, it's like, or you're a jazz musician and you're trying to perfect that improvisational solo that reminds you of Charlie Parker. Like there's a million ways to Nirvana. Recording stopped.